thank you guys. Uh, hey, why don't you home? Just give them a round of applause. Be like, thank y'all for serving us so well. Uh, so excited. Good morning, City Light. Um, here we go. We're going to jump in God's word again this morning as we have been, as we always will. I cannot wait to gather with all of you in person. I just keep looking forward to that day. It keeps me going. Uh, but for now, I'm so thankful that we can uh, speak this way and hopefully encourage your hearts this way. So would you go ahead and open your Bible to 1 Peter. Uh, last week uh, at Easter, we kind of finished our series that we'd been in for Luke um, for a long time, several months, uh, ever since last fall. And now we're going to jump into a uh, series in First Peter, and the series is going to be called, Will You Pass the Test? Will You Pass the Test? So grab out a notebook, take some notes. I'll be hanging out here with my friends up here, okay? They're going to take some notes with you, and we're going to learn together, uh, and we're going to be in this together, okay? We are six feet apart. Everything's good, all right? Um, but it's nice to have some friends here and to not be all alone in this place uh, since you guys aren't here with us this morning. You are in spirit. Um, but will you pass the test is going to be what we'll be talking about for the next few weeks, the reason for this is I think in this season in particular, God not only wants to comfort us, but also to challenge us. God wants to give us reassurance, but also lead us to repentance. So I think this is something important that we need to begin to think through is so often when hard times hit, what we want to do is say, hey, comfort and peace to you. Right? I want to make you feel better. I want to make you feel better. I want to make all these people, I want to make everybody feel better about their circumstances to say, here's an encouraging word for you. I hope this encourages your heart. And that is obviously good and important. God is our refuge and comforter. But what sometimes we miss in an effort to provide comfort when things are hard, the fact that God might be using that very circumstance to wake us up. God might not only want to comfort, but he might also want to challenge he might not only want to reassure, but also lead you to repentance. And so as one of your pastors, there was just a great passion in my heart over these last few days and last few weeks, especially during this pandemic, to make sure that we're giving you God's perspective of all angles. The perspective of, hey, here's a word of comfort, but also the perspective of here's a word of challenge. And I think especially in this season, there's something unique for God's people. Something that God wants to do all across the planet in all people, but I think especially amongst his people. I heard a pastor say recently, he said that God wants his people back. And one of the things that he's doing is gathering them back. I mean, it's no coincidence, right, that any sports that you like to watch, all of our idols, the things that we go to, the things we do, the things we spend our money on and give our time to have been literally taken away. And now we're left with pretty much God and that's it. And we see in our hearts, hey, what's really going on in our hearts? God's trying to wake us up to something, to the reality of our spiritual condition. But it only works when God wakes you up, right? It only helps if you don't hit the snooze button and go back to sleep, right? Let's make sure none of these people are sleeping, right? Okay, they're not sleeping. We're good, okay? Everybody's still awake right now. We want to make sure that you stay awake to what God is doing in your life. But so often, as soon as those thoughts hit us that are hard and difficult to say, I might not be who I thought I was. Now I want to hit that snooze button and go back to sleep because I don't want to deal with what God's doing in my life. 
You don't wanna deal with it, so you try to forget about it. And what we wanna see here is so important for us is that we must let God and partner with God in the work he wants to do in you and through you to reveal to you and to me what is the reality of our heart. What is your actual spiritual condition? Do you know? Do you know where your heart really stands with the Lord? Do you know the condition of your heart? Do you know how sensitive and right with God you are? Do you know if your heart is in a good place to hear from the Lord or are you numb and hardened to these things? Has this scenario taken away some of your thoughts and ideas about who God is, about what God is doing? Has it made you realize things about yourself that you're uncomfortable with? And I think the answer would be yes. And the reason is this is a test. This is a test. The season we're in right now is a test. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is a test. This is a test. This is a test. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is a test at your couch. This is a test. Turn to your kids and say, this is a test. This is a test. God, amongst a thousand other things that he's doing. So we can't look at this and say, well, A, B, and C, God is precisely doing these three things for sure, and I know it, and I know it. No, 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 no. But what we can know is what does God do in trials? What does God do in times of suffering in general? And we know from the scriptures, and we're going to see a little bit later, that God is a God who tests his people. He does it often, and he does it in a variety of ways. So one thing we can know is that God is testing us. And so as I've been praying through and thinking through, man, what does the Lord have to say to City Light? What does the Lord have to say to us in this season? I think we would be remiss to not talk about the fact that this is a test. So the question for you and for me that's very important, not just for coronavirus, but for everything in life is, will you pass the test? If God is giving you a test, will you pass the test? Now, I know many of us have a variety of experiences with tests. Okay, some people love tests because you're just like, I always get A's and I'm smart and fantastic. And some people are like, I hate tests, I hate school, I hate the word test. I'm gonna sign out of this sermon right now because you're talking about tests. I don't want anything to do with that. I don't wanna take a test. Well, I, I hear you in that and I, I waffle on both sides to some degree or another. One time uh, when I was in college at Liberty University, shout out LU, I got some LU people here. Whoa, whoa, what's up? See, we got at least one, at least one. That's two out of four up here, okay, um, are here. And uh, I went to Liberty, okay, so I met my wife at Liberty, which was the greatest gift Liberty ever gave to me. Um, and when I met my wife, the season I met my wife in, uh, it was her freshman year, her first semester freshman year, and it was my sophomore year. And I was at first a business marketing major. So because I was a business marketing major, before I ever even thought about ministry, I was a business marketing major and I had to take classes like economics and accounting and things like that, that were no fun whatsoever. But when I met my wife, my priorities began to change. So I was always a pretty decent student. I kind of like school. I'm kind of a nerd like that, okay? All y'all like school, props to you, okay? I'm cool with school. Um, if you don't like school, that's cool too, all right? Do your thing. So uh, um, I don't know if I should recommend that, if that's, yeah, anyways. All I'm saying is it's okay if you don't like tests, all right? I won't make you feel bad. Um, but when I met Kristen, we would stay up late with our group of friends, okay? 
okay? It'd be like, uh, whatever, a bunch of us hanging out. Uh, we would stay up late hanging out because there was one particular place on campus, the computer lab, that you were allowed to stay up and do work, you know, do homework. Everybody would go there to hang out, okay? So we would be there literally till like six in the morning. We would just be hanging out with all our friends all night. And all I wanted to know, all I wanted to do is get to know Kristen better. So I had an economics class at 8 a.m., okay? I'm staying up with Kristen and all her friends till 6 a.m., right, trying to win her over so that she would date me. And so what did I choose? I began to choose Kristen over economics. I just didn't wake up and go to class. So for about two straight weeks, okay, I'm not recommending this. Students, all you out there, this is bad. You should not do this. Uh, For two straight weeks, I completely ignored the fact that I had economics class. Two straight weeks. I didn't go at all. And one day, we were like, I should go. So I went back to class two weeks later, okay? This was, I had class three days a week, so I missed six straight classes. Two weeks later, I go to class, you know, and the teacher's like, oh, hi, you know, welcome to class, Mr. Crew, you know? And um, uh, she's like, hey, we have a test today. I'm like, a what? We have a test today. This is today's test day. We, you know, we've been studying. We have a test. We've been learning things in class, and we have a test. And I thought, oh, this is not good. So I sit down in my desk. It's a test. I vividly, okay, this was a long time ago. I'm old now. I vividly remember this test. I remember what it looked like. I remember how the questions were formed because there were 50 questions, 50, and I knew, let me hear it, none of the answers, zero. Say zero at home. I knew zero answers, none, zero. You ever been to a test where you literally didn't even know one answer that you felt comfortable about? Anybody taking a test like that? One answer, I didn't know. I got the whole thing wrong. I just remember that day and being like, okay, first of all, I'm gonna stop business marketing. This is not my jam. I'm gonna switch to marketing only where you just get to talk and have fun. That was the thing that happened to me after that. But I took that class. I got a terrible, terrible grade on that test. I, I did a terrible, terrible thing in the class. And what that test revealed to me was that if I kept heading in that direction, the outcome of the final test would be worse than that test. That if I continued on the same trajectory, it was a sign to me of what was to come. And what the test did, right, was simply revealed to me and to everyone else around me how unprepared I was, how unready I was, how I wasn't really taking it seriously. The test revealed the truth. And I want you to think about this in your life because this is what tests do. A test is not a time of learning but revealing. You don't learn when you're taking a test. You learn how, how smart you are or how much you know. What's re- it's something that's revealed. You don't learn anything new. You get things revealed to you when you take a test. That's what testing is for, is to reveal what do you really know? What is your real status? What have you been doing for the last two weeks? Then you learn, oh, you haven't been in class. Therefore, you get a bad grade on the test. Now, the benefit was this was in the middle of the semester, and I still had a chance to make my grade better. I did slightly, but it was hard to get up from that, that hole that I had dug in the ground for myself. At the end, my parents found out how terribly I did and they were helping pay for my school, you know, so that didn't go so well, understandably. Uh, and I had to spend years trying to get my GPA back up. But you know what I did get? A wife, okay? So priorities, everyone out there, I got a wife. So I had lesser GPA, but a wife. You know what nobody cares about right now in my life? My GPA. You know what they're excited for? I got a wife, and now we have kids and all the things. So, you know, just pick your priorities. I mean, I, I don't regret it. I don't recommend 
that route, but I also don't regret the route that I took. Um, I got a wife. So he who gets a wife gets a good thing. It's in the Bible. It's literally a verse in the Bible. So anyways, you should go to class though. Uh, but what I wanted to show you from all of that is that the test reveals the truth. You should write that down. That is the title of our sermon today. Okay, the series where you pass the test. The title of the sermon today is the test reveals the truth. Reveals the truth. The test reveals the truth. So, and seriously, what is being revealed about your life right now? What is this test doing to you? What is it revealing about your faith? What is it revealing to you about what you actually really believe? What is it revealing to you about your life and your lifestyle? What is this test revealing to you? Now, just like me, it was the middle of the semester. I had a time to change course. So it is with you. The test is revealing the truth and God, by his grace, is revealing that to you now and giving you the opportunity to change course and to shift your perspective and to change the direction of your life and also, most importantly, to change the outcome of your life by trusting in Jesus if you've never done that before. So why don't you look at 1 Peter with me and we're gonna look at uh, six of these verses. We're gonna be in them for the next few weeks. We're gonna do just two of them today, verse six and seven, but I'm gonna read all six right now, starting in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, you should say, mm-hmm, right, that's it. That we have been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness, the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul. So we're gonna look at a few things today. The first thing I wanna show you is that God really does test his people. So before we dive into six and seven, I wanna show you from other scriptures that this is normal behavior and something that we can expect from God in our lives. James one, two, and four, write this down. Or just write down the reference. You can catch the verse at some point. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, of various kinds, pandemics or persecution or whatever, any kind of trial. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The testing of your faith in trials. James 1.12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the, say it at home, say it with me, test. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Psalm 139, 23 through 24, there'd be no point in him praying this if God didn't test. It says, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, which is basically like test me. 
and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. God tests, God searches, God tries us. He does this through a variety of things, especially in trials. And so now in the middle of this great trial that we're in, the trial of a lifetime, a historic pandemic, the question is not what he is doing, he's testing, it's why. Okay, God tests people, he does it through various kinds of trials. Well, this would be a various kind of trial. So he's certainly testing us amongst a thousand other things he's doing that we don't know. So why? That's what we need to answer. God does this, that's clear as day. So why does he do this? Why does he test us? Why is he doing it now? Why is he doing it in your life? Why is he doing it in the life of everybody in the world? Well, I'm gonna show you two things from the text and we'll be done, okay? Two things, write these down. The test is for you and the test is for the end. Two simple things, why is God doing this? Well, the first thing is that the test is for you and the test is for the end. Verse six, go back to it. He says, in this you rejoice that now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The test is for you. Now, this is important when you think about it because normally a teacher will assign you a test so that they can know what you know. The test is for the teacher. It's so the teacher can know whether you've been studying and doing the homework and learning. The test is so that the teacher can get information revealed to them so that they can make decisions based off that information. Well, God doesn't work this way. This is not how God gives tests. It's how you give a test, it's how a teacher gives a test because we don't know everything, but God does. So God doesn't give tests this way. The test is not for God, the test is for you. God already knows what's in your heart. God already knows everything that you do say and think. He literally knows everything about your life, everything that you have done, said or thought. He knows every motivation of your heart. Everything about mine, everything. Everything about Isaac's, everything. He knows everything about our hearts, Maria, Mark, all of us up here, every little thing we've ever thought about, done, said, and the motivations of our heart, God knows. God doesn't need to test us to get information. God already has all the information that he needs to know about the spiritual condition of our hearts, about what we really believe, about who we really trust, about what we really love. A few examples from scripture, Psalm 139, the writer basically takes a bunch of verses to say, where can I go from your presence? Can I go up? Can I go down? Can I go left? Can I go right? Can I go here? Can I go there? Can I go up to the very tops of the sky or to the depths of the ocean? Where can I go from your presence? And the answer is nowhere. I can't go anywhere to get away from God. I can't go anywhere to get away from what God is doing. I cannot get away from God because God is everywhere. Hebrews 4.13, you should write this reference down. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who must give an account. Look at that, God sees everything. Your life, hear me, is exposed before God. And you have to give an account about what is exposed. And just imagine that feeling that you get, right? When somebody finds out something about you that you didn't want them to know. Especially if like, remember as being a child, if that would get you in trouble with your parents. 
So if you did something and somebody found out, whether it was at school, with your parents or whatever, you would say, oh man, I just don't want them to know. And as soon as it gets exposed and that feeling of, man, I have to face them, I have to like walk back into that house and look that person in the eye. I have to face that person. I have to think about the fact that I'm exposed before them. I want you to take that feeling. That's like, you know, that's not a good feeling. I don't want that feeling. And I want you to apply it to your life right now in the sense that God, the most important person in the universe, is exposing everything about your life. He knows everything you think, say, and do and the motivations behind it. You're exposed. God does not need information. Therefore, he is not trying to get information, but to give information. This is important. God tests us, write this down, so that he can give information, not get information. God is revealing things to us. He is not having things revealed to him. This is not what God is doing. He is not having things revealed to him. He is revealing things to us. God is not getting information. He's giving information. The test reveals the truth to us. It reveals the truth to me. It reveals the truth to us. It reveals the truth to you. The test reveals the truth to us. The test is for you. And that's why you need to see this in many ways as God's gift to you to reveal to you who you really are, what you really trust, what you really believe. Think about this test like a truth serum. It brings the truth out whether you like it or not. It's a truth serum. It forces it out. It forces to expose what you really love. It forces to expose what you really believe. It forces to expose what your life is really all about. It brings it to bear. It makes you deal with it. Things that you would normally like to hide or ignore or just forget about, you are absolutely confronted with because the test that you are in, that I am in, that we are in, is revealing the truth about you. And it's revealing it to you. The test is for you. This is why it can be good because God is giving you a chance to see who you really are, to deal with who you really are, to not be ignorant about who you really are anymore and to have a chance to change and to follow Jesus in ways that he's asking you to before it's too late. This is a test and the test is revealing the truth about you. Look at the text again. It says that your faith is more precious than gold. I love this. It says the core adjective that's used is genuine. The genuineness of your faith. So a genuine faith, a real faith, an authentic faith, the kind of faith that works, the kind of faith that saves, the kind, that kind of faith, a real genuine faith is more precious than gold. Genuine faith is more precious than health. Genuine faith is more precious than a job. Genuine faith is more precious than money. Genuine faith is more precious than your routine in life. It's more precious than being able to go out to restaurants. It's more precious than watching your favorite team on TV. Genuine faith is more precious than anything you can have or experience in your life. A genuine faith, write this down, is the most precious and necessary possession anyone can have. 
You and I need a genuine, genuine faith, a genuine faith. And that's what God is trying to reveal to you about whether your faith is genuine or not. Can you trust it? Is it the real deal? Will it prove genuine on that final day when you stand before him? A genuine faith is more important than anything that you have lost in this pandemic. You and I need a genuine faith. And the trick here is that you can have faith and it's not genuine. That's the point of the adjective. There is a faith that is not genuine. And it would be a terrible thing to have that revealed on the last day when it is too late. So a test before the final is a gift, just like my semester. It wasn't the last chance that I had. It revealed to me where I stood and it let me adjust. And I want that to be the same to you. Let me give you a couple reasons why sometimes our faith is not genuine. And I want you to use these things just to evaluate your life. Only God knows your heart. I don't know exactly where your faith stands or what it is like. And I want to show you a couple reasons why it might not be genuine. The first one is sometimes our faith is not genuine because it's in the wrong place. This is very simple. It's in the wrong place. It may be authentically believed with all your heart, but it will be of no value because it won't work. It won't actually help you in that day. The Bible says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except through him. That's John 14, 6. The only faith that works, the only faith that is truly genuine, is the faith that is placed in Jesus, because nothing else will work. Sometimes our faith is not genuine, not because we don't really believe it, but because it's in the wrong place. It's in something that is not real, in something that will not help. So if you put your faith in any other man, system, prophet, religion, in the universe, or even yourself, it will be proved not genuine when it is tested because it won't pass the test. So you put your faith in another religious leader and you believe it with all your heart. But when the test comes from the true God, when the test comes, even in a circumstance like this, but ultimately on that day of judgment, when the test comes, it will be deemed not genuine, not because you didn't believe it with all your heart, but because it wasn't true because it was in the wrong place. And some of you are in that position now, and I wanna plead with you to believe the text, to believe John 14, 6, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no person will pass the test unless they put their faith in him. So that question, will you pass the test, is rooted in whether you choose to believe in Jesus or some other name, because no other name will prove to help you on that day when the test really comes. And I would argue, and I don't know how much some of you are experiencing this who are in different faiths, that no other faith and no other way is going to help you even in this moment in time in your life. That true hope comes from God both eternally and now. The Psalm 24 says, where, where do I look? I look to the hills for help. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. And so I want you to know that sometimes our faith is not genuine because it's in the wrong place. You can believe the wrong thing with all your heart. And so I just want you to think about that. Where are you placing your faith? Is the religious leader your trust, the universe, yourself, some philosophy, some other thing? Are those things really going to help you on the day of final judgment? Are those things really even helping you now? Sometimes our faith is not genuine because it is in the wrong place. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Put your trust in him today. The second thing is sometimes our faith is not genuine because we have the right facts 
with the wrong feelings. We have the right facts, but never the right feelings. Sometimes our faith is not genuine because we have the right facts, but never the right feelings. We agree with the truth of the gospel, but we don't actually love Jesus or desire the presence of God. We'll do a bunch of Christian things and activities, but we won't do so out of love for Jesus or our neighbor. We'll say often, people like this will say often, that faith is only about believing the truth. But the Bible, first uh, John 1, 12, describes belief as receiving Jesus. So when I believe and agree with the truth, I'm receiving Jesus, the person, the God, Jesus, into my life. I am not just saying yes to a set of facts. I'm saying yes to a person whom I want to love. And so sometimes our faith isn't genuine because we have the right facts, but never the right feelings. Genuine faith, write this down, must have a genuine desire for God. Right, what kind of faith do we want? What kind of faith is being tested? What's being tested is the genuineness. Sometimes you can't have genuine faith because it's in the wrong place. Sometimes you don't have genuine faith because you have the right facts, but never the right feelings. And genuine faith must have a genuine desire for God. This is so important, but I also wanna make sure I caveat the right way to say this does not mean, as you evaluate your heart and your life, this does not mean that you and I won't waver, go up and down with our feelings. Oftentimes your feelings are a terrible place to test your faith. But if you have no feelings toward God and towards your neighbor of love and a strong desire to love and follow Jesus, that is a warning sign because a genuine faith must have a genuine desire for God. Sometimes our feelings of love, I'll be honest too, myself, right? The feelings of love, the desire for God, sometimes they're really strong and I'm super hyped up and I love Jesus, I wanna read my Bible. I know that's true for all of us up here. Sometimes your feelings are really strong. You're like, yes, Lord, this is awesome. And sometimes your feelings are really weak and you're like, do I have to do this? Is this really what I wanna do right now? I'd rather be watching Netflix or something, you know? Like sometimes our feelings are really weak. We go up and down. So get hear me, my concern is not with those of you, all of us that deal with ups and downs in our desire. My concern is for those that never have them. You have no ups and downs because you're neutral. Your relationship with Jesus doesn't excite you or concern you, it just is, it's just there. You're in neutral. So my concern isn't with those of you that go up and down. That's actually a pretty good sign that you're pretty normal and you're trying to follow Jesus. You go up, you go down, you go up, you go down. My concern is with those of you who are just neutral. Jesus doesn't excite you. He also doesn't concern you. Your relationship with him doesn't move you. That's when you could say your feelings are a sign that something has gone bad. Think about this. When you learn to drive, okay, there's especially a stick shift, but just whatever, either way, when you learn to drive, all right, Maria probably just got her driver's license, right? Just a few, just, she just got her driver's license. Uh, she's learning to drive. That's a joke, that's a joke. She didn't, but she kind of did. Um, so learning to drive, you, you, you have a good time and bad time. Sometimes you do well, sometimes you don't. You go up and you down. Things are good and bad. But here's the thing, at least the car is moving. You are a driver. You could be a good driver or a bad driver. Your driving goes up, your driving goes down, but you are a driver. Even though your experience fluctuates, the truth is you're in the car and you're driving. This can be good or bad. Some of you, though, are in the car and nothing is happening. Nothing good, nothing bad. You're just numb. You haven't initiated anything, so the car isn't moving. But you think you're a driver because you're in the car. So because you're in the car, you call yourself a driver, even though the car isn't moving or going anywhere, up, down, left, right, no matter what, good or bad. 
You think you're in the car because you grew up in a Christian home, you had Christian parents. So that puts you in the Christian car. So that makes you a Christian. You think you're in the Christian car, you think you're in the car because you uh, come to church and you do nice things. You try to serve people and give some money away. You're a nice person. Whatever reason is you think you're in the car, but you haven't made an active decision to actually start driving and to experience the ups and downs of active faith. You might have a lot of reasons for being in the car, but you have to start driving to be a driver and you have to start acting in faith to be a person of faith. You have to start driving to be a driver and you have to start acting in faith to be a person of faith and experiencing the ups and downs of that. Experiencing that I really wanna walk with Jesus and I actually love people and wanna serve them. And sometimes I don't and I don't wanna do that, but it's this, this way, you know, and I'm pursuing a more steady, consistent walk with the Lord. I'm pursuing a more steady and consistent way with the Lord. This is what I'm working on towards and pursuing. The first step of your faith is true repentance and trust in Jesus, a decision you make. You have to decide to initiate. Your parents can't make that decision for you. Your friends can't make that decision for you. And maybe the fact that you have the right facts with not the right feelings is a sign to you that you never initiated, that you never decided to become a driver, that you thought being in the car was sufficient. And I wanna encourage you today to check the genuineness of your faith. Is it yours? Is it a decision that you have made? Are there signs of life in your faith? Are there things that you can see that show you, man, okay, this may go up and down, but it's there, the car is moving. So what is God revealing to you about the genuineness of your faith? What steps of repentance are necessary? And how is God calling you to change course? I wanna encourage you as well, so many of you, that we also can't miss the encouraging part that many of you have genuine faith. This whole sermon is not meant to be a downer or just a reflection on whether your faith is real, but so many of you during this season especially, your faith is being revealed and expressed and it's encouraging. God is showing you that you do really love him, that your life can fall apart, but you're still steady on the rock, that you do trust him even though you deal with anxious feelings and fears just like any of us, you still really trust the Lord to work things out for your good. You're still solid and steady, even though the world around you is falling apart. And this is God's gift to you in a season of trial to give you that reassurance that I'm in a test, my faith is being tested, and it's the real deal. Like, praise God. Praise God. So many of you can look at this and be like, yo, this is, this is not good, the situation, but God is still good. And I believe that. And my faith is the real deal. This is God's gift to you. And I'm so encouraged that so many of you seeing you live this out. It's awesome to be one of your pastors and I want you to be encouraged as well that not only should you reflect on your faith and repent in ways that are necessary, but if your faith is being revealed as genuine, be reassured that this is the good thing. Be encouraged. So the test is for you. The final thing is the test is for the end. You see at the end of verse seven, it says, so that this may happen, so that it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ so that it may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The goal, the ultimate goal is that a genuine faith may be found. So the question for you and for me is when our faith is found, what will it be found as? 
when the end comes and our faith is revealed, what will God find? What will people see? Will it be a faith that results in praise, honor, and glory? Or will it be a faith that proves not genuine? A faith that turns out to be no faith at all, a faith that doesn't help or save, a faith that turns into wrath. The test is for the end. So how will you be found on that day? What you would do, what, we, what you would miss is if we went through this test here on earth and you didn't think about what is God revealing to you and then you missed the middle of the semester exam. And then God was giving you a wake-up call to say, hey, you're not prepared. You're not ready like you think you are. Some things need to change in your life. You actually don't even have a relationship with me. Wake up, wake up. You need to see where your spiritual life really is. I'm giving you a chance now before that day when there's no more second chances. What God is doing is giving you a gift. He's revealing to you who you really are. He's giving you a middle-of-the-semester test now so that you can be ready for the final God is giving you a gift. This test now is for the end. It's helping you see how things will go if you continue down the route that you're in right now. I think about just the other day, we were uh, working out our, our painting for the sanctuary and we had picked a color and they kind of went on the thing and showed us exactly what it would look like. They bought it, everything. It looked good in the, in, on the pictures. And then they paint just a little block to show us, okay, this is what a lot of the room will look like. And we look at it and we're like, that doesn't look the right, that doesn't, we were going with a grayish thing and that's brownish and I don't understand. He was like, well, let's try a second coat, see if that changes the game. So we wait, second coat, nope, that's still brown. Brown is not what we're going for, brown, nope, that's just more brown, that's just darker brown, that's extra brown. We didn't want any brown, we were going with gray and uh, that's not gray. Like, wow, wow, what in the world? So then we begin to look and the guy's like, well, sometimes when you see something on your phone, it's not as accurate as in real life. I'm like, well, isn't that a metaphor for life, right? That's like the metaphor for Instagram. <laughs> Instagram should say not accurate to real life. That should be what's on the bottom of the thing. Everything on your phone isn't actually accurate to real life. We're like, well, thanks. How are we supposed to know then? How am I supposed to pick a color? My phone's what I got. He's like, well, go to the store, get a bunch of samples, come paint them on the wall. I'm like, you're a genius, right? That's why they pay you the big bucks. So we get a bunch of samples. We come back. We put five on the wall. We finally get the one that we see, the one that we like, the one that is actually gray. But I want you to see the something that we learned from there. The same thing we're trying to learn today spiritually is that the test reveals the truth. You take the paint, you put it on the wall. Well, you know what? As a matter of fact, that looks brown to me. You take the paint, you put it on the wall. That's not what I thought it was. And that's exactly what God is doing. He's taking the paint of your life. He's putting it on the wall right in front of you. He's covering a white space with this paint so that you can see it. And he's putting it right there. And he's saying, is this what you thought it was? Is this faith what you thought it was? Is this heart that's being revealed what you thought it was? Is your relationship to God what you thought it was? And he's giving you a chance to look at it and say, is this the real deal? Is this genuine? Is this what I thought it was? And God is helping you in this moment to discern and to see, man, if this is the test now, am I ready to pass the ultimate test when I stand before the Lord? And you know, as we close, the answer of passing that ultimate test isn't actually dependent ultimately on you, but on the one who passed the test perfectly, Jesus Christ. There's really only one person who will pass the test. There's only one person who's lived a perfect life. There's only one person who doesn't 
deserve the judgment of God anymore. There's only one person who took the judgment of God for us and has now freed us from that. There's only one person, and that's Jesus. Jesus lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. A genuine faith is a Jesus faith. What I want you to see is, write this down, a faith that is found to praise Jesus will be a faith that is founded by Jesus. A faith that is found to praise Jesus will be a faith that is founded by Jesus. And that day will reveal this day. So take this day and say, what is it in this day that God is revealing about that day? The test is for you. Don't miss what God is revealing to you. And the test is for the end. Let the test now reveal where you'll stand one day. And I pray you put your faith in Jesus if you haven't already. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We're thankful that you give us this gift of a test. I pray, God, that you would reveal to us where we really stand with you. What is our spiritual condition? Do we really love you? Is our relationship to you what we thought it was? And if it is, Lord, may you give great reassurance. Praise God. And if it isn't, Lord, I pray you would lead so many of us to repentance, that you would work out a gift of grace and mercy in this time, that we would no longer be deceived or fooled anymore about who we really are. God, use this test to give life. Use this test to give mercy. Use this test to be gracious to us. And I pray that every single person listening to this would take this test seriously, would see what you're revealing, and would discern the next steps for them in Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.